Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Ladies and gentlemen, good to be with you again. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA here in the nation's capital. And we've got a great show, so I hope that you're able to stick around for it, including including looking at this Facebook bombshell from both a tech point of view, but also from a political point of view. You know, is Trump really the only guy that's done this or is there a connection to People in this country doing this sort of thing. Warren Kinsella, who is a liberal, by the way, has a column out about the connections to the liberals of some of the people at the center of this controversy. We'll talk to Warren about that. Michelle Rempel, conservative MP, says the borders are still being flooded in this country. You don't want to miss that. That's in about an hour and a half's time. So uh, whether you're just joining us now for Facebook Live or you're listening for the full show, come back for that. 8.30. You don't want to miss that. The borders are still being flooded through with people that are just walking across. Walking across the border. I thought this was all done. All right, I've got to stop and say hello to everyone from Oshawa, Alberta, Ottawa, Renfrew, Burlington. Okay, I'm just seeing tons of places here, and that's always great to see. But let's get down to brass tacks when it comes to Justin Trudeau. Because this is a man that has made it clear that he knows what is best for the country, correct? He's been out there and he's been telling us he knows what's best. And when he was asked about the whole issue of the carbon tax last week, he wasn't asked what's it going to cost. He was asked what impact is it going to have? Is it going to lower emissions? And he couldn't answer, but he did say that everyone was on his side and he was he was adamant that he was in the right on this. around the world have recognized that putting a price on carbon pollution is the best way to move forward uh, to reduce our carbon emissions and innovate to grow the economy. Uh, The folks on the other side of the aisle didn't understand that when they were in power for 10 years and they're doubling down on their incomprehension of something that Canadians know that the only way to build a strong Mm -hmm. economy for the future is by protecting the environment at the same time. Their willful blindness and ignorance on this is hurting. Oh, your willful blindness and ignorance on this if you don't agree with Justin Trudeau. And of course, we heard the same thing from his environment minister on the weekend. You remember her, Catherine McKenna. She doesn't have time for you. I have no time for folks who are like, you know, we shouldn't take action. Um, you know what? There's a huge poll out from Abacus Data. Now, I do not quote Abacus Data all that often. Why? Well, they used to be my polling firm back when David Coletto ran it. But then this guy named Bruce Anderson came in. And Bruce, I simply don't trust him. And he is he's out there pushing a liberal agenda on Twitter and on used to do it on TV all the time. And of course, as you all know, his daughter works for Justin Trudeau in the PMO. So it's a bit of conflict of interest there. 
Bruce tries to address it, he says, but I don't think he does. And I don't trust his polls. But he's got this huge poll out that he did for the Eco-Fiscal Commission. Now, this is this is supposed to be the conservatives. You know, you've got people like Preston Manning behind the Eco-Fiscal Commission trying to say, we've got to have a carbon tax. A carbon tax is the way to go. This is the push on their big report. And they released a poll in conjunction with their report. More than 2,000 Canadians sampled by Apex data for their views on climate change. And what I specifically want to focus in on is whether people support the prime minister's plan, because they were given a, a choice. They were given four options. What do you think should be done on climate change? And the options were use rules and regulation, use low carbon technology subsidies. You know, you, you buy an electric car, you get a subsidy. You put solar panels on your home, you get a subsidy, that sort of thing. That's what they were pushing. So the first choice, you could say you wanted rules and regulations. You could want low carbon tech subsidies. You could want carbon pricing, the prime minister's preferred option. Or you could say, do nothing. We don't need to do a thing. Well, this is fascinating because Justin Trudeau's preferred option is only the preferred option, the first choice option. You had to rank all these options one through four. Only one person, or sorry, only 13%, one person, I don't know where I got that, only 13% said carbon pricing was the way to go. Number one by a mile was use rules and regulations to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Use regulation. 44% said use regulation to deal with climate change. That was followed by 35% saying... Low-carbon technology subsidies, 13%, way back, way back there, said carbon pricing. And then just 7% said, do nothing. See, but when Catherine McKenna says she has no time for people that say do nothing, what she really means are all the people in the 87% that don't agree with carbon pricing which is 13%. Now, this isn't to say that people would not, okay, you can't have rules and regulations, say, okay, fine, do carbon pricing. But people were asked, what is your preferred choice? Here are your four choices. Give me number one, number two, number three, number four. The prime minister's only option, way down at the bottom. I mean, it's barely ahead of do nothing. And if you go to brianlilly.com, you can find my write-up about this, but you'll also find... Some of the polling data. I posted the screenshot of their data table. So 13% all overall said carbon pricing. By the way, more men say carbon pricing than men, 16% to 11. But when you look at how people voted in the last election and what do they think should be done, you well, liberals obviously are very big on carbon pricing and it's just those mean conservatives in Alberta. No. Only 15% of liberals say that's my preferred choice, carbon pricing. 7% of conservatives, 14% of New Democrats, 25% of the Green Party. I mean, the Green Party is more likely to say rules and regulations than they are to say carbon pricing. And 13% in the Bloc Québécois. Well, Okay, fine, it's not just all conservatives, but it's still all those people out there in Alberta that just want to kill the planet. 
That's what it is. Nope. 11% in BC, 9% in Alberta, 11% in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, 12% in Ontario, 20%. That's the highest level of support for carbon pricing, 20% in Quebec and 10% in Atlantic Canada. Kind of shows you that folks aren't all that into Justin Trudeau's number one idea, are they? I mean, the biggest group say they want this. This is their third option. No, try the other stuff first. That's what they want. But to Justin Trudeau and to Catherine McKenna, well, if you're not on board with them. I have no time for folks who are like, you know, we shouldn't take action. Um... But to her, when I say to her, carbon pricing is the only action, I'm not being facetious. I'm not being flip. I'm not even putting words in her mouth. The province of Saskatchewan came forward with their own plan and said, we will use rules and regulations. Nope, you must have a price on carbon. Wait a minute. We're a federation. You can't force that on us. Yes, we will. So when they say they have no time for people that don't want to do action, they're saying they have or don't want to do anything. They're saying they have no time. For 87% of the population that don't think this is the way to go. Justin Trudeau, Catherine McKenna, these folks are elitist and out of touch. And they've got to figure out that they are not the, they're not our kings and queens. He's not our king. The cabinet ministers are not our princes and princesses. Yeah, you know, I had this guy coming at me on Twitter saying that, uh, This isn't an argument against a carbon tax. It's an argument against democracy. An argument against democracy. This poll, because the people don't like it, and he does. He's a PhD candidate who writes about this. Well, because he likes it and the people don't, it's not that he's wrong. You're wrong and democracy's a problem. Isn't it wonderful thinking on the left these days? Make sure you do stick around for the rest of the show, because as I said, we're going to talk to Michelle Rempel on the borders. We're going to talk to Warren Kinsella about the um, uh, the liberal ties to this Facebook data breach. And did you hear about gender and pipelines? Yeah, I'm not going to sing you a David Wilcox song. I'm talking about the new legislation and lawyers that work in this field say, They don't understand what the government really wants here, but they don't think it's going to help. We'll explain that uh, in just a few moments. Make sure you listen to the rest of the show. If you're watching on Facebook Live, join us at CFRA.com or download the iHeartRadio app. Download version 2.0. You already got the old one? Delete it. Download iHeartRadio 2.0. It's even better. Apple or Android, always free. Download it today. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Get some FaceTime with Brian. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. May I have your attention, please? Brian Lilly's Five Things You Need to Know. Now, the number one sort of thing you need to know tonight, it's nasty out. Open up! Isn't a fit night out for man or beast? 
UConn Cornelius, our special weather correspondent, once again telling us what it's like. If you haven't felt the wind, well, just don't go outside. I don't recommend it. It's horrible. Horrible. In the Toronto area where the storm started earlier, they've had a crane fall down. A KFC in Halton had a bucket. You know the 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 rotating bucket standing outside? I don't know if they rotate anymore, but they still have the big KFC bucket. It fell over and hit a cab. Here in town, we've had scaffolding uh, issues at a construction site off uh, Preston Street. We've had trees knocked over, and there are power outages throughout the city. You don't have to go out in this. Just don't. And it ain't going to be nice over the next few days, trust me. They're talking 12 centimeters, possibly more of snow by Friday. And you thought we were done with this. Story number two, it is the one that I told you about earlier on in my rant, and it has to do with the liberals and how they view the world. Now, I have no time for folks who are like, the, you know, we shouldn't take action. Um. We shouldn't take action. Well, only 13% think that the, gov- the government is on the right path with the action that they are taking in putting a price on carbon as the number one way to deal with with climate change. Most people say they would prefer rules and regulations. You can find all the details at brianlilly.com. Let's move on to story number three. It is a local one, and that is that we're about to spend $32 million overhauling the Albert and Slater bus corridors. This after LRT opens. And we're spending a billion on LRT. Well, what are we going to need all those buses for and those bus routes? Now, today, at Transportation Committee, they approved the redesign of the Albert and Slater stretches from Empress Avenue in the west to Waller Street in the east. Now, the plan is to reduce both Albert and Slater to one lane of traffic in each direction and to improve the roads for pedestrians and cyclists. One lane in each direction. Really? You know who's behind this? City Councillor Catherine McKenney. This is one of those projects that eight, ten years ago, I don't know that I would have really believed it was ever going to happen. It is a project that will change uh, how we move through the downtown. There are currently at least four lanes in many parts of that stretch. They already have wide sidewalks in many areas. So what are we going to have? I'm sure we're going to have multiple bike lanes. I'm sure we're going to have extra wide sidewalks and we're going to have one lane of traffic in each direction. And I'm sure no parking, which currently exists in the area. This council hates cars. And I don't care if you've got a suburban councillor telling you otherwise. The fact that they're all getting behind this tells me, no, they hate cars, or they're afraid to stare down someone who actually does hate cars, Catherine McKenney. We have reduced O'Connor Street. We are about to reduce Elgin. Now we're going to reduce Albert and Slater. I'm not saying don't reduce them at all. Without all those buses, we won't need that much capacity. But one lane in each direction, really, give me a freaking break. Story number four, the YouTube shooting in San Bruno, California, yesterday. I woke up this morning to a Twitter feed filled with nothing but bizarre videos that I didn't understand until my coffee kicked in. And it turns out these were the videos of the shooter. Police have now identified the shooter. Here is San Bruno Police Chief Ed Barberini. 
The deceased subject was ultimately identified as Nassim Najafi Ogdam, a 39-year-old female resident of San Diego, California. She is our suspect in this investigation. Why was she targeting uh, YouTube? Well, yesterday we uh, had reports that it may have been a domestic incident. Not sure if that has been completely ruled out, but what they are saying now is that she was upset that YouTube was suppressing her videos. She had a bizarre YouTube channel filled with exercise videos for her specific worldview, exercise, her vegetarian uh, way of life, and Agdam was apparently angry about this. She had police in... Again, in this incident, police had been warned, according to several reports. Story number five, Canada's ambassador in the United States says he's still confident about NAFTA, even as the U.S. focuses in on China in a trade war. David McNaughton says the recent exemption of Canadian steel from U.S. tariffs, an example of Canada's status in Washington. The U.S. has got issues with China. We've got some issues with China. We've been talking to them about some of our common uh, issues so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that there's a, there's a positive tone in the discussions. Uh, we'll see in the next few days how far we get. He made those comments, by the way, after a speech in Toronto by Kelly Kraft, the American ambassador to Canada. And uh, why was part of the reason for Canada getting the exemption? A whole pile of reasons. Our standing is one of them. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back... I'm going to fill you in on the craziness surrounding gender and pipeline approvals. Lawyers can't figure this out. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So that uh, story about a local doctor that has done his 50,000th vasectomy, Dr. Weiss, and just because of the area that that deals with, I uh, was reminded of a story I'd read years ago about mm, another way of dealing with men down there, and it was a story of a penile lengthening surgery technique that was brought to Canada by a guy named Dr. Stubbs. And he learned it from Dr. Long while visiting Beijing. You can't make this stuff up. Dr. Stubbs learned how to do penile lengthening surgery from Dr. Long. Goes back to the 1990s. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. If you haven't heard, Christia Freeland is part of the reason that four Russian diplomats were kicked out of Canada. Have you been following that story about the Russian diplomatic expulsions? The Americans, of course, kicked out 60. Glenn McGregor tweeting earlier today about what happened. 
Says Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says four Russian diplomats that were expelled over interference in Canadian democracy. Well, that was because of online attempts to discredit Foreign Minister Christia Freeland. He goes on, in 2017, stories surfaced online suggesting Freeland's Ukrainian grandfather was a Nazi collaborator because of his involvement in a newspaper during World War II. She denied the allegations. Trudeau blamed Russian propagandists for these stories about Freeland's family, worth noting that Freeland was banned from Russia over her outspoken criticism of Russia's annexation of Crimea. I'm not sure that... I fully buy the government's explanation because I, the Russians did that. The Russians did spread those stories. That is true. But it happened a long time ago, and the Canadian media, for the most part, called them out on it. Not to defend Christian Freeland, but we all knew why it was coming out. It was coming out because she had been very strong, speaking out against Russia on Crimea, which I was happy to see because... I felt that her boss, the PM, and her former prime minister, her former uh, foreign minister, Stefan Dion, had been too soft on Russia and wanted us to cozy up to Russia. Gosh darn it, they sounded like Donald Trump until the Trump-Russia collusion story broke and then Russia became evil again. But definitely Russian propaganda spread those stories, but that was... That was quite some time ago, and the media called them out on it. If that was the reason, then they wouldn't have waited so long. Um, I still, you know, still kudos for kicking out the Russian diplomats, and kudos for, uh, to Freeland for standing up uh, for Ukraine. We'll talk a bit more about her and what's going on with the um, uh, trade talks in a couple of minutes. But right now, you remember last week, I was the only one that brought you this story. Chris Bloomer, president of the Canadian Energy Pipelines Association, said there's not going to be any more pipelines under these new rules, Bill C-69. It is difficult to imagine that a new major pipeline could be built in Canada under the Impact Assessment Act, much less attract energy investment to Canada. So I played you that audio here on the radio station. I wrote it up at brianlilly.com. Zero reporting elsewhere on it at the time. But as they say, you can you can listen here, you can catch up later on. National Post today, Graham Hamilton, who is a fantastic journalist, takes a different look at Bill C-69. This is the legislation that will change how our um, pipelines and other major projects are decided on through impact assessments. There's a whole pile of different changes here. And one of the things that is leaving people perplexed is a section that says any uh, project proponents need to take into account, quote, the intersection of sex and gender with other identity factors. Huh? That's... That's for a pipeline decision? Yeah. Yeah. So he quotes Richard Lindgren, a staff lawyer at the Canadian Environmental Law Association. This is the Environmental Law Association. He says, if you're asking what does it mean, I'm going to have to say, I don't really know. 
He's got to wait for guidance on this. Well, Jessica Kennedy, who's a lawyer at Osler in Calgary, uh, uh, Osler Hoskin Harcourt, she helped author a report for clients and said the new gender provision makes, quote, the role of an impact assessment more of a policy setting exercise than focused on the merits of a specific project, which is likely to increase the scope of studies the proponents will need to engage in and contribute to overall project uncertainty. What did Chris Bloomer say? There's not going to be any more pipelines under these new rules if the law is passed, as is. So Jessica Kennedy, a woman, writing from their Calgary office on this, says the role of an impact assessment more uh, that this makes the role of an impact assessment more of a policy setting exercise than focused on the merits of a specific project. It's going to expand the scope. They're going to be looking at, you know, do you have the right policies in your offices to get the pipeline through? Not is it safe, not is it necessary, not does it have the right environmental safeguards in it. Do you have the right social justice policies in your workplace? And if not, well, you can't get it through. And given that that's an ever-changing standard, I mean, these these projects take years to get through. Is it going to be an ever-moving yardstick they've got to catch up to? Probably. Kennedy says, what is more concerning is if you take the issue of gender and gender identity more broadly and start examining, for example, a company's policies and practices regarding gender, their hiring practices, their bathroom policies, their codes of ethics around treatment of people based on gender and other identity factors, race, religion, those kind of things. That's where it starts to get more into a policy question where you're really looking at the social setting within the company. Another law firm, Denton's, also flagged all of this, saying it's going to lead to uncertainty since it's not clear how these factors, which are subjective and difficult to assess, will be applied. Says the uh, Bernie Roth, the lawyer at Denton's that wrote this note, says the language on gender remains unclear, but he speculated it could be a tool to increase gender diversity in male-dominated trades. This is supposed to be about environmental assessment of a pipeline. This is about determining, is the pipeline safe? Can it go through? And these guys are turning it into, we will change your corporate culture from the inside with our policies. People would laugh when I would say, this isn't the Liberal Party of yesteryear anymore. That these are radicals. Do you doubt me now? Do you doubt me now? Because they're not looking to manage the economy. They're not looking to advance some social causes in a slow and responsible way. The the, the way liberals have done before. Nope. They want it done now. They want it done their way. And if not, you will be punished. They are radicals. This is just one bill that's doing this. Uh, This 
sort of thing is throughout the legislation uh, that is coming in at the moment, uh, including the Fisheries Act. Uh, Graham Hamilton writing says, uh, Bill C-68 amending the Fisheries Act, also tabled in February, says the minister may consider the intersection of sex and gender with other identity factors when making a decision. The primary objective is to ensure that the fisheries department is collecting data in such a way that it can ensure that benefits of any uh, of its decisions are equally distributed amongst various sectors of the uh, of society, a government official said at the time. So fisheries licenses now, subject to the intersection of sex and gender with other identity factors. Identity politics now determines if you get a, a fishing license? It's all very confusing. Coming up, we will talk about uh, what uh, Freeland had to say about the U.S. trade war with China and what's going on with NAFTA. You'll hear about that. And we'll also talk about this fight between the police chief, the mayor, and the front line. be resistance you're listening to beyond the news with brian Lilly on news talk 580 cfra so i gave shout outs to people all over the place watching the opening of the show on facebook live and obviously my sister was one of them because she sent me a text saying I look very smart in my new glasses. It's funny how people think you're smart if you wear glasses. I think it was smart before glasses. But hey, you look brainy if you got glasses on. Yeah, well now I'm an absolute brainiac. Nice this. Oh, you know what? I can actually say this. I'm the smartest person in this room. There is no doubt. Stephen Ellsworth. Stephen, put on your headphones so you can hear me. Can you confirm to everyone listening right now that I am the smartest person in this room? Well, you're smarter than me. Well, I'm also the only person in this room. (laughs) You're in another room. I'm in this room. Yes, separated by a pane of glass. That's a valid point. (laughs) Okay, but you also proved, yeah, I'm smarter than you. (laughs) You thought we were in the same room. I'm the smartest person in this room. Can legitimately legitimately say that right now. Wow. Cannot so- legitimately say legitimately, but there you have it. Well, I got suckered into that one. <laughs> you kind of did. <laughs> I wasn't looking for that, but I'll laugh oh. at it anyway. Oh. Christian Freeland is in Winterpeg. Although you could say we are right now. What are the winds? Uh, winds still going strong if I look there. People hustling down York Street, or sorry, George Street, with their hoods up, hands in pockets, running. Often you see people strolling through here. Right now, they're running. Well, Christian Freeland's in Winterpeg, where the snow will melt around July, and then giant mosquitoes come and take you away. That's what people from Winnipeg tell me the, the, the town is like. Biggest mosquitoes on the planet, I'm told. Freeland was asked about the global trading order. Uh, what's going on with the fight between the Americans and the Chinese? Uh, she said she'll be in Washington on Thursday 
to meet Robert Leitzer, the U.S. Trade Representative, as part of the ongoing efforts on on NAFTA, which is supposed to be very close. And our firm belief, which is not so popular everywhere in the world today, is trade actually is a win-win exchange. I don't think Donald Trump disagrees that trade is a win-win exchange if you listen to him. And too many people don't listen to him. And lots of people think Trump doesn't believe trade is a win-win exchange. Their messaging's a little off on, on that front. I think, generally speaking, the Trudeau liberals have done well in dealing with Trump in the White House and Washington in very turbulent times. No doubt they're turbulent. But this idea that Trump doesn't want trade at all, no, he, he wants trade deals that are good for the United States, that are fair for the United States. And the example that he used last week that I thought was brilliant when he introduced tariffs on all kinds of Chinese goods said, why should we face a 25% tariff to export a good to China when that same good being brought in from China to the United States may only face a 2.5% tariff? He said, let's make it the same. So he warned the Chinese, you lower, he's basically saying, you lower your tariffs or I'm hiking mine to match yours. He's not aiming at us, except when he thinks that we're being unfair. And guess what? There are files where we think they're being unfair. And that's what the negotiations are about with NAFTA. We're on good terms with the Americans. We'll negotiate. The Chinese won't negotiate with you. Not in a serious way, the way that the... We will with the Americans and Mexico and other countries. The Chinese have a very different view of foreign affairs. Everything is in China's interest. Anyway, uh, Freeland says she is very, very worried about the the China-U.S. trade war gaining strength. But I do think that it can be easy for people to lose sight of the value of trade to us all. Because trade does expose us to competition, and that can be scary. It can be, which is why you often see people saying, oh, we can't, uh, you know, then we'll lose our jobs. Mm, Not really sure that that happens. All right, let's talk about Jim Watson and the... um, The little fight he had on Twitter yesterday. Jim Watson was posting, read this out last night, posting a photo saying, pleased to meet with Chief Bordelot and Eli Alshantiri and Deputy Chief Steve Bell to discuss issues surrounding safety in the nation's capital. Well, someone claiming to be a cop tweeted at Jim, this is what, your third highly publicized meeting in as many years, yet the shootings not only continue but get worse. Your chief of police does not know what he's doing and has completely lost the confidence of the frontline cops. Now I suppose you'll block me. Watson replied, too bad you hide behind the anonymity of social media. Police person at Real Canadian Cop said, I wouldn't have to hide if I wouldn't automatically face a chief's complaint, suspension and charge under the Police Services Act for daring to suggest that the chief hasn't a clue how to curb the gun violence in this city. Thou shall not question the Ottawa police executive. Then he Watson encouraged him to bring his ideas forward instead of chirping on Twitter. I tweeted this out saying it's an interesting thread. You should take a look at it and see what uh, 
see what people are saying. I was inundated with people critical, not of this cop, but of the chief of police. Inundated. Saying he doesn't know what he's doing, he's not a good cop, attacking him. I I think that there's probably some legitimate criticism out there of Chief Bordalo, but I also think some of it is ill-placed. The increase in shootings has been going up across the country. And the pattern's the same. It's gang-related shootings. And if you chart a course, a correlation does not equal causation. I know this. But if you chart the course, it mirrors the rise of fentanyl and the opioid crisis. There's a lucrative drug, tr- uh, drug trade going on right now that is a scourge in all our communities, and it's playing out. Well, in the midst of that, Councillor Riley Brockington said, yeah, he doesn't believe the gun and gang strategy is working either. You can't deny there is tension. There's tension not just among sort of rank and file, but even some of the senior members of the OPS who have been uh, outspoken with their public criticisms of some of the direction. And similarly to Rick's comments, I don't think the gang strategy is working. So now we've got Rick Shirelli coming out saying it's not working, Riley Brockington saying it's not working. Marianne Wilkinson on Ottawa Now declared the whole exchange on Twitter between the mayor and the police officer is troubling. Well, it's not a well, very good sign, obviously. It's, uh, it means that the, the, some of the rank and file in the police have lost their, um, their ability to trust their, their head, the head of their department. And if that's unfortunate, I don't think the mayor should have tweeted what he did. I think he should have just kept out of it. Wilkinson says that uh, there may be a grain of truth in what was tweeted out. Politicians, we know we get criticized all the time. And uh, sometimes it's justified, and often probably it isn't. But that doesn't matter. We have, and some some in that those criticisms, we actually learn some things too, which is useful for us doing a better job. We can all learn from our critics. I do as well. It's why I read them and don't just block them. But when you're in a police organization, criticizing your boss publicly, criticizing your boss publicly in any organization isn't going to go well. So the mayor was disingenuous when he said, why don't you come forward in, in, in public? Well, no one can criticize their boss publicly and expect to, to stay in their position for very long. Warren Kinsella is up next. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Official opposition. Brian Lilly is on your side. Beyond the news on News Talk 580 CFRA. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. Do you follow me on Facebook? I'm, I'm not ditching it. Uh, I communicate with so many of you. Via Facebook, I communicate with people across the country, literally around the world, via Facebook. So I'm not ditching it. I've always been careful about my privacy, but also realized that this is a free service and nothing's free. They're going to take advantage of us any way they can. 
But since the story about Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and the data mining and President Trump broke, Facebook has been in the crosshair. So today, Mark Zuckerberg came out, the CEO, founder of the company, explaining some of what happened and how they got a new estimate of 87 million people that may have been data mined by Cambridge Analytica rather than the previous estimate of 50 million. We don't have logs going back for when exactly um, Kogan's app queried for everyone's friends. So what we did was basically constructed what the maximum possible friend list is that people could have had over the time and assumed that Kogan queried each person at the time when they had the maximum number of of people or connections that that would have been available to them. Um, And that's where we came up with this 87 million number. Now, what do they do going forward? Well, he admits that they're going to uncover more security issues in the future. I think that there is going to be more content that we're going to find over time. I mean, as long as there are people employed in Russia who have the job of trying to find ways to exploit these systems, this is going to be a never-ending battle. You never fully solve security. It's an arms race. That part is true. Well, it's also true that the Obama campaign in 2012 data mined an estimated, what is it, millions more. I think 190 million people is what they expected to have data mined just through their app. Warren Kinsella, good friend of this program, good friend of mine, has been writing about this issue lately, and especially the Canadian connection with this Christopher Wiley and his ties to the Liberal Party, along with a couple of other guys. So, Warren, you've been hearing about this, and now we've got the 87,600,000 Canadians. Um, those are big numbers. But we're, you're surprised by the Canadian connection here? Yeah, so they're, you know, along with Christopher Wiley, who was one of the founders of Cambridge Analytica and uh, has been presenting himself, let's be charitable, as the whistleblower and testifying before British Parliamentary Committee a few days ago. Well, now we learn about this Victoria firm um, called Aggregate IQ. Aggregate IQ, which was founded in 2013 and run by... Uh, a couple of young guys who are friends of Wiley and business partners of Wiley um, and who are very active in the Liberal Party of Canada. So, I, you know, my view would be, and I think a lot of other people, is that, you know, the, the Libs have got some, some questions they've got to answer about this thing, is about the extent to which their people were involved in this, you know, these two companies, Cambridge Analytica and Aggregate IQ. Wiley, as you say, he's portraying himself as a whistleblower, but that would, I'm not sure that's exactly an accurate term for this guy. Uh, I think he's trying to save face, save skin after the fact. He was not only involved in Cambridge Analytica, but this other firm in Victoria. He pitched to the Liberals. He worked for them three different times. He worked for a data micro-targeting firm in the United States. This is what this guy did for more than half a decade. And now something's up. You know, one of the problems that Mr. Wiley's got, just putting on my lawyer's hat, is it's very difficult to be a whistleblower, you know, somebody who's observing but not participating in wrongdoing. It's very hard to be a whistleblower when you're also one of the people who founded 
Cambridge Analytical. You know, he was the one of the ones who put that company together. So, uh, you know, I think that's one of the problems that he's going to have, Brian, going forward, is how can you say you were apart from the wrongdoing, you know, swiping people's, millions of people's personal information uh, on the one hand, and on, on the other hand, um, you know, be one of the guys who set up that company that did the swiping. Do you think that um, while what happened with Cambridge Analytica is serious, do you think that this is being overblown and overplayed politically by by various folks? Because as we've talked about before, the Obama campaign, they've been out there saying we did more than this in 2012. I'm sure that the liberals and the conservatives in this country have done quite a bit. This is the business model for Facebook. And now people are outraged that they found out that the Oh, oh wait! You you weren't selling me uh, uh, hockey cards to to get the stick of gum. You, you know, it's like this is the business model. Is there a bit of uh, outrage, fo- fake outrage at this? Well, I mean, that's a fair question, and it's an important question. It's one we've got to get answered: is to what extent the liberals, the conservatives, and even the new Democrats have been involved in this stuff? So that's an important question. But, I mean, a key element, you know, whenever any of us clicks on an app and we want to get quick access to it, it says, well, how about instead of figuring out, you know, a password for yourself and, a, you know, a name for yourself, well, just let us have access to your Facebook stuff. And we click on that. And, and you know, we're hearing now increasingly we shouldn't be doing that. But at least, Brian, in that case, we're being asked for permission, Right. So when we click that button, we're understanding that we're handing over some kind of information about ourselves. The problem with Cambridge Analytica and Aggregate IQ and companies like them is it sounds very much like, if Mr. Zuckerberg is to be believed, they illicitly and possibly illegally took that information without getting permission. Okay. Let's turn to uh, some problems that uh, Justin Trudeau has been having. Lately, communications problems right up your ballywick. John Ibbotson had a piece, a great piece in the Globe and Mail, and I say it's a great piece because it sounded exactly like what I said on radio the night before, uh, telling Trudeau and company, stop calling Canadians deplorables. We've had the uh, the incident on the weekend uh, with Catherine McKenna, bad interview, not the end of the world, as you said, but a bad interview, saying I don't have time for people. Uh, we had the Neanderthals comment, Jerry Butt saying, if you disagree with uh, his boss, you're a Nazi. Uh, s- cl- claims of sexism, racism, all of this. And people are saying, hey, wait a minute, don't, don't you work for us? I think the guy who really got at it uh, is your friend and mine, Evan Solomon. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because uh, he, he's part of the same station as you. You know, in his interview with McKenna, I thought the most important part was when he said, well, you know, aren't you supposed to be reaching out to people who disagree with you? Aren't you supposed to be trying to get them over to your side with persuasion? And that, you know, really, at the end of the day, that's what politics is all about. And um, I think the danger that my party federally has had historically is where we get ourselves in trouble is we stop doing that. And we just, instead of trying to get people over to our side with facts and figures and persuasion, we just say, oh, you know, you're all a bunch of dummies or we're morally superior to you. And when you do that, well, you know, funny things happen. People start voting against you and they kick you out of government. Yeah, well, 
look, I, I think this is something that all parties, especially when they're in power for too long, can get into. But these guys haven't been in power for too long. They've only been in – well, <laughs> actually, I think they have. But they've only, only been in for two and a half years. Uh, they're facing the electorate in a year and a half, and it just doesn't look good if you're being dismissive. I mean, calling Lisa Rada Neanderthal because she said, look, your rhetoric and your actions don't match. She she has a d- disagreement. Uh, that doesn't well, mean you call her a Neanderthal. The problem, my friend, is that uh, people in my party, and maybe I've been guilty of this too over the years, it's kind of a built into our DNA, this you know, impression that people get that we feel we're morally superior. And, you know, sometimes it's true. Sometimes liberals do feel like we're morally superior and we get tired or impatient with trying to persuade people to look at our side of the argument. And like I say, that's when you lose. It, it is a daily campaign, as the Clinton people said. You always have to just every single day get up and work hard at getting people over to your side. And that was the problem with McKenna's interview with Evan Solomon was it just sounded like she was just impatient with people who disagreed with her. And she said, I've got no time for them. And, you know, he said, what is the proper response, which is, well, you've got to make time. That's your job. Yeah. And look, it was um, nearly a nine minute interview, I think, going from memory. And it was the last minute and a half that was the bad part. And, you know, just move on from that. But instead, you ended up with people overreacting on both sides. Uh, but if you're the minister, just say, hey, made a mistake, move on, and people will yeah. forget. Yeah, it blew up on my Twitter, um, and, uh, you know, I just kind of pointed out what you just did. I basically said what you just did. She had a really bad interview, no question. But, you know, because I had liberals who were attacking Evan, and uh, I have no time for that. Guys like you have an obligation to subject guys like me to tough questions and not just throw us softballs. And that was his job. And that's what he had to do with uh, Ms. McKenna. And, you know, it's not right to attack him for doing his job and asking tough questions of her. She's a minister and she works for us. So it, it was just a bad thing all around. I think there were, you know, Tory partisans who were being very personal. You know, I was getting... I, 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 I don't I don't like the the personal attacks. It's why I stick to policy, policy yeah, and what just, you say. And it, but I'll tell you, I learned a lesson on the weekend, my friend. You throw the words climate change out there and carbon taxes. Holy jumping. Uh, yeah, OK, so earlier today and I'll end with this. I tweeted out an abacus poll that I did a write up on. Uh, they asked, what is the preferred method of dealing with uh, climate change. And I, I didn't write about climate change is real, climate change deny. I just said, here's what the poll said. Only 13% agree with Justin Trudeau that the, the their favorite way is a carbon tax. Most want regulation and rules. And I'm, I'm being accused of putting out fake news. I'm quoting the poll put out by the people that want the carbon tax. There's zero critical thinking on this issue. Yeah, and that's the problem that Trudeau's got, and maybe Jason Kenney on the other side of it from my home province of Alberta. People have become so polarized on this thing, it's actually pretty ugly. And I really don't know how guys like Kenney on the one side and Trudeau on the other are going to bring people together. They seem awfully divided on this issue. All right, Warren, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks for the time. Thanks, my friend. All right, coming up in just a few moments, we're going to be speaking with Michelle Rempel. That's just after... 
8.30. The conservative immigration critic is worried that the borders are still being flooded. And, and I bet she's got a few things to say on the new report showing Justin Trudeau's tweet might have prompted a few of these illegal border crossings. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Do not go anywhere. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Make it stop! Can you believe that they're re-releasing that movie? Has to be the weirdest Beatles movie ever. They're re-releasing Yellow Submarine. It's animated. It's psychedelic. It's definitely influenced by drugs. It's the 50th anniversary of everything for the boomers. And so we've got to relive it all. Some things are best left forgotten about. Yellow Submarine would be one of them. Not everything. Of course, today is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. Police have issued an all-points bulletin for a well-dressed young white man seen running from the scene. Officers also reportedly chased and fired on a radio-equipped car containing two white men. Dr. King was standing on the balcony of a second-floor hotel room tonight when, according to a companion, a shot was fired from across the street. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Unfortunately, his dream has still not come true, and there are problems of racism. That is something I never deny. Is it as bad as the some activists say? In some areas, yeah. In some areas, no. You'll remember the dust-up I had with MP Selena Cesar Chavan black female liberal MP. She is of the opposite view of the Reverend Martin Luther King. She's of the view that we've got to judge people by the color of their skin. He said he dreamt of a day where his little children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. So I had a a dust up with MP Selena, as she's known on Twitter. Today, Adam Vaughn, a fellow member of the Liberal Caucus, but always a far left one, tweeted an article at me saying I should be reading this today. And all the headline was about was that by the time he died, Martin Luther King Jr. was an avowed communist. I've heard these rumors. I've heard lots of rumors about him. I've also heard at various times he was a Republican. Lots of people try to claim things. But what I found interesting was that he wanted to 
attach communist. Adam Vaughn comes out of the NDP wing of the Liberal Party. In fact, he was known as a far-left guy before he left Toronto City Council and decided to run. A little bit sad that that was the, uh, the way that he wanted to, to mark the memory of Martin Luther King. My friend Ralph, uh, uh, Ralph, my friend uh, Ray Hurd has a piece in the National Post today on what it was like in the aftermath, uh, something that perhaps we could talk to him about tomorrow. When we come back, you don't want to miss Michelle Rempel. She is a firebrand of a critic when she wants to be. And I think she's going to have something to say about how Justin Trudeau's We Welcome You tweet made people actually believe they could just walk across the border, which turns out they continue to do. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. If you miss Brian Lilly, don't worry. Everyone else will catch up next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Who would have thought that, you know, having a prime minister send out a tweet to the entire world that they were welcome? Who would have thought that that would have made people actually show up? I mean, other than me and absolutely everyone listening right now, who would have thought that that would have done something, right? But there he was. It was in January of 2017, days after Donald Trump's inauguration. And he says, to those fleeing persecution, terror, and war, Canadians will welcome you regardless of your faith. Diversity is our strength. Hashtag welcome to Canada. And of course, he did that in French as well. All of a sudden, the illegal border crossings, which had already been going on, absolutely spiked. Michelle Rempel is the uh, conservative immigration critic. And, Michelle, we've actually got verification that this happened because of a news report in the National Post. Uh, The the bureaucrats are even saying that uh, this caused an influx, didn't it? Yes. And, I mean, it's going to be no surprise to your listeners who've been listening to you and I talk about this for a year and a half that this is a a situation where we – it's kind of like I told you so. Like, we knew that there was a correlation here. And you remember at the time, it was like, oh, no, that didn't that didn't happen, right? In fact, even the, one of his senior staffers was, you know, sort of made these disparaging remarks like, oh, no, no, that couldn't happen. And sure enough, there it was. So it's just, you know, Brian, it's just, you know, it's verification of his failure to manage um, the integrity of Canada's immigration system. And it's not a laughing matter. It's not glib. Uh, because it continues every day. In fact, just this past Easter weekend, there were media reports that 500 people illegally entered Canada to claim asylum from the United States uh, just this one weekend alone. So it's One uh, weekend, 500 one people. Weekend. Yeah, and so the numbers that we've got for this year so far, so January and February, which are cold months, um, 
were 3,000. So that's not including this 500 from the last weekend or whatever. I don't have the numbers for all of March yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is only going to get worse this year. And what has the government done? What has Justin Trudeau done to fix this problem? Absolutely nothing. So now, uh, these, are st- these are still coming cr- across at illegal border crossings, what I'm sure the government would rather me refer to as irregular border crossings. The, the, these illegal, are not people clear. These are not people claiming refugee status at an airport. That's right. So, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, we have an agreement with the United States on asylum claiming so that if somebody comes and makes an asylum claim in one of our countries, you can't do it in the other country if you go through a legal point of entry. But the agreement is silent on what happens at an illegal point of entry, which is why all of these people are crossing into Canada illegally. So they cross into Canada through an illegal point. They um, then are eligible to make an asylum claim. And because of so many people that have done this in the last year, you know, hashtag welcome to Canada, our system that we use to process these claims is so backlogged that many of these people won't have their claim heard for years. And in the meantime, they're eligible for social assistance, healthcare benefits, um, the entire suite of programs that many Canadians you know, are are eligible for. And many people think that this is unfair. And I agree with them on that because for many reasons, but it's, it's, it's unfair and it's unsafe. Well, if we're talking about people that came to Canada from the United States who were originally from Haiti, we had our own program and it was a while Justin Trudeau was in office that we deported them. And we said, Okay, your time is up for your temporary residence after the earthquake. It's time to go home. Right. We, we so, did the same thing as the Americans. We did it earlier, and there were no protests. There were no mass border crossings. Right. So, so this is the temporary protected status that you hear about in the United States. We have a similar sort of program in Canada, wherein if a country is deemed so unsafe that even if somebody has a like a removal order issued to them that. They're not essentially going to be removed from Canada. I'm oversimplifying, but um, we ended that protection for Haiti about six months before the Americans did. And this, of course, the decision, uh, you know, this is this is part of the, re- the the reason for the hashtag Welcome to Canada tweet that will live in infamy. Um, and, and it's just irresponsible. I mean, like it's 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 blatant, crass political points, uh, an attempt to score political points on behalf of the prime minister. And it has real impact on people who are making this journey, Canadians who are paying into the tax system, and, and frankly, people who uh, from around the world are trying to access our immigration system legally. Uh, and those are the people I think are getting shortchanged the most, that are those well, who are trying to enter our country by paying by the, playing by the rules. And Michelle, I, I pointed out that because these the, the people that cross illegally go into the refugee system, that this is going to squeeze out legitimate refugees who are fleeing war-torn countries, including places like Syria, where the prime minister did a big push on and and was very proud at welcoming 25,000, eventually more than 40,000 Syrian refugees. Well, taking in thousands upon thousands, I mean, 3,000 in January and February alone, uh, illegally into the refugee system displaces other refugees. And I've had liberals say to me, Brian, you don't understand. It's not a zero-sum game. We can take them all in, except we don't have those resources, which is why some people are being told an 11-year wait for a refugee hearing. So there's a variety of reasons why we can take them all in is not 
true. I mean, we could in theory, but what's the cost to that, right? I mean, uh, the Syrian refugee cohort, um, we've heard from resettlement services agencies. These are groups that provide things like language training and uh, integration support that there, there isn't enough resources to help the Syrians integrate into the economy, which is why we see the government-assisted refugee, those are people that the government sponsored to come over rather than private citizens. Many of them are unemployed. Um, and, and, you know, to me, at some point, uh, we have to have a conversation on saying, well, look, if we're not expecting refugees to be employed in Canada, then how are we budgeting for the cost of their social assistance payments? And Quebec actually sent a bill to Ottawa a couple of weeks ago for over $150 million for the cost to the Quebec um, social assistance system of just housing and, and, and taking care of people who have illegally entered the country and claimed asylum. Now, is Ottawa going to pay that? I highly doubt it. I asked the immigration minister this. He was curiously silent. But there is a, nobody here is saying that we don't want to have a compassionate system. But what I'm saying is it, people have to play by the rules and we have to talk about cost, right? Like, I mean, we're in, we have this massive deficit uh, budget that Trudeau just tabled. We're going into debt. Many provincial budgets, like, I mean, Ontario, right? I mean, uh, that's a disaster, um, how are we paying for all of this? And we, if we don't have that honest conversation, that's where people start going, I don't want anybody, right? There has to be a plan. And the government to just sort of blindly turn an eye to this is, is just, it's irresponsible. And, and they're at fault. It's Trudeau for not having a plan. It's he's at fault for any sort of rhetoric that uh, pushes back against the immigration system because he's broken it and he's being dishonest about how it needs to be run. The the fact that we had to erect tent cities, crazy, we, hey? we had to put up, we had to put people in Olympic Stadium. Uh, one of uh, my coworkers here, producer of the morning show, Matt Harris, was telling me that he was down in Boston at a Red Sox game. The summer that that all went down, he's wearing his uh, his Expos hat, and one of the Boston Red Sox fans, hey. Great. I loved that team when it was around. Whatever happened to your stadium? And he said, I don't think you'll believe me. And they didn't. Uh, we're housing refugees in it that are walking across the border from your country. Uh, do we still have the tent city and, and the portables up to house people? Well, it actually gets worse. So in this budget, you know, after Justin Trudeau, remember that Edmonton meeting that he had where he, he told that veteran that, you know, we, we couldn't give anything to our veterans. Remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, well, you're after, asking after more that, than we can give. You're asking more than we can give. In this budget that he just tabled, there was almost $200 million just to process the first bits of paperwork. Just like no health care, nothing like that. Just to process paperwork for people illegally entering the country to claim asylum. How bananas is that? Really? Like, we're not even talking about that. Yeah. It was like $173 million, Brian. And, you know, we're not even talking about at this point the tent cities, the heated trailers. Like, we've set up a refugee camp on the U.S.-Canada border. Uh, that is absolutely ludicrous by any measure. I, I you know, and, and so this is where our party for, for a year and a half, you know, I've been saying, there are measures that you can take to prevent this from happening. Uh, you know, I'm going to be, without tipping my hand um, for the Liberals' benefit, in the next week or so, I'm going to be, you know, pushing this message with, with action a little bit harder. Um, 
which I'm sure will drive them crazy, but we need to do something before the summer comes here. I mean, like the fact that it's just starting to thaw and the thaw weekend had 500 people. I mean, that's a harbinger of what's about to come. I mean, you can't deny that there is going to be a big spike. And, you know, to, going back to the start of the, you know, this, this interview, Brian, uh, that, that story today, that hashtag welcome to Canada, how irresponsible was it for the prime minister to do that and then take absolutely no action to stop the abuse of our immigration system this way? I, you know, it's, it's, you can hear the frustration in my voice, but uh, I think a lot of Canadians will say, look, if you want to come to Canada, we are a country of immigrants, but you have to play by the rules and you have to do it in a planned, orderly and safe fashion. And Justin Trudeau's response has been, eh, whatever, you know, hashtag welcome to Canada. Well, and that's wrong. It's, it's, it's fundamentally a failure. I'll just uh, I'll get your response to this in Marie Danielle Smith's piece in National Post today. It said uh, a secretary at the uh, embassy in Mexico uh, wrote, I am seeking official guidance response from Ottawa on how to address refugee inquiries following all the publicity around the U.S. ban on some nationalities in our prime minister's tweet on welcoming refugees. We are receiving an increasing number of inquiries from the public about request, requesting refugee status in Canada and a number clearly having links with our Prime Minister's tweet this weekend. A significant number of the inquiries received since the weekend have been from nationals of the U.S. banned countries, but we are also receiving them from all nationalities, both through emails and directly at our reception. They overwhelmed the bureaucrats last February. There's a shocker. Like, I, I, but I don't know. Like, I mean, so, so it was either complete stupidity or by design, right? Like, he had to have known this was going to happen. So if, you know, I guess that's my question for him is either you're completely ignorant and, and you did this for your own ego, not knowing what was going to happen, or this was by design. This was literally by design to say, come on in illegally. What do you know what I mean? Like, there's no middle ground there. It's one of those two options, and both of them are completely unacceptable for the leader of a G7 country who has one of who who oversees one of the most generous social assistance programs in the world. You know, if you'll just indulge me, like I was in the EU um, uh, about a week and a half ago, and I, I was learning a lot about their asylum programs, and they do not have the same. You know, they're undergoing a lot of pressure, much more pressure than Canada is right now. But they don't they don't even have the same level of social program access that we do. I mean, Canada is, uh, you know, we give, you know, we give a lot more to people. And, and so, of course, we're going to have a demand on the system. You, and you were part of the government that cut back the uh, emergency health care system for refugees to match what Canadians got from their own government. And you were vilified for it. So I don't expect there to be any changes under this government. They said that had to go back up. Refugees had to get better health care than Canadians were getting from their provincial governments. You know, I, I think that Canadians now, where the public discourse on this issue is that I think Canadians are aware that we can't, we can't have it all for free, right? So the whole conversation around the deficit budget and, excuse me, debt, and then how that translates into what services governments provides is I think it's top of mind for a lot of Canadians right now, especially as the tax burden increases. So people are looking at this and saying, I'm having a harder time making ends meet. <coughs> the government's asking a lot of me. 
we need to make sure that this system is fair. And it is not fair for people to illegally enter the country and then have access to social assistance programs for years on end pending an asylum claim hearing where many of these people, a majority of these people, will not have valid claims. Then there's removal orders. Then, you know, and then the time, we, we, you know, there were stories last week, Brian, about how the removal time has skyrocketed to the point where, like, there's actually people who have been, quote-unquote, lost. Uh, and then there's a cost to us to actually deport someone as well. Like, why don't we just have the rules set right on the front end and, and stop incenting people to come into the country illegally? It, it, it's very simple. To me, that is the compassionate way. That is how you get social license to operate a compassionate immigration system is if it's functioning properly on the front end. And that is where this, this prime minister is just completely bonkers um, and, and self-aggrandizing. It's disgusting. Michelle, we got to leave it there, and and I can hear you having a bit of trouble coughing and and keeping it together. Sorry. Maybe maybe it's that Calgary snow and cold that you guys are dealing it's with. Snowing here, can you believe that? Well, I, I give up. I uh, really do. We had snow earlier today, but we're having the old crowded house on four seasons in one day today, and, okay. and right now it's a windstorm, and we're going to get snow or we're going to get rain. Then we'll get snow, and then more snow on on Friday. So you don't want to come back to Ottawa. Well. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the time. Take care. Michelle Rempel, conservative immigration critic. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Stick around. We got more to come. Why am I talking like we're done? CFRA. Do you have a favorite bridge in Ottawa? It's a weird question, I know, but we got a lot of bridges. My favorite is the Chaudière Bridge, and now it's closed. I'm a little, little forlorn over that. That uh, won't be closed for long, but there was a weird incident. Ted Raymond uh, in the newsroom was talking about it in the 8.30 update, uh, and he's joining me now. Ted, um, debris coming off one of the buildings? Let's let's remind people where the Chaudière Bridge is. This is the, the one that links Ottawa and Gatineau across that very industrial sector in behind the War Museum, right? Two very industrial streets in their day. Yeah. All right. So what happened? I mean, you've got all those. We've still got the Chaudière um, Dam there that provides electricity. A Hydro Ottawa just took that over completely a little while ago. Uh, so that's still a going concern. But I guess there's a lot of mm, buildings not in such – not as much use. Right. So what Ottawa police have told me is that uh, there was some debris that came off of uh, one of the buildings on one of the islands that uh, the bridge kind of uh, straddles between uh, Ottawa and Gatineau, and it's caused some hazardous conditions. And so it's basically making it a little too dangerous to drive on the Chaudière Bridge right now, so they've closed it down. Now, what I was told uh, from police just a few moments ago is that this closure is probably going to be for about 18 hours or so. 
Uh, they're going to have to have a crew come in in the morning to assess the building, make sure it's safe, and clean up the mess that's been left behind as a result. Uh, so it is going to cause some traffic impacts. for. Uh, it's pretty busy. I mean, for, even though it's one lane each way, I use it quite often. And by the way, so people know when Ted says one of the islands, there are three islands, Victoria, Albert, and Chaudière Island, that this bridge crosses as it goes across the Ottawa River. So um, probably off of Albert or Chaudière, but I'm guessing, you know, the winds are still quite high. They they can't just go out there and, and make sure everything's safe now in the dark and the high winds. Well, exactly. And uh, the, the last recorded update we have from Environment Canada, this is from the airport, of course, but uh, it's you know, emblematic of the city, is that we're getting wind gusts of around 80 kilometers an hour, uh, sustained winds, so the average wind speed is around 56 kilometers an hour, which is pretty heavy for... Uh, About double a normal day. Yeah, and uh, I but, will say this uh, just uh, for anyone taking the bus, because the, the uh, Chaudière Bridge is the way that you get to Gatineau on the 44 bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, OC Transpo saying they're detouring onto the Portage Bridge uh, tonight until further notice. So it'll okay. be an extra few minutes uh, of uh, travel if you're uh, crossing the bridge to Gatineau tonight. Well, as far as the winds, you said, well, this is out at the airport, I'm looking out the window at the, not just the flag, the downtown Rideau flag blowing, but the lamppost is rocking. Yes, right behind us. The uh, tree, it looks like it could blow over at any moment. And I'm sure that this has happened in neighborhoods across the city already tonight. Trees knocked over. Uh, do let us know. You can contact uh, Beyond the News at CFRA.com or call the newsroom if there's something serious happening in your area. Ted, thanks so much. You're welcome. All right. I'm letting Ted take a one-minute break before we come back to him with the news. You know, just make him work the whole show. I'm Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. You can listen to V-Lil now or catch up with everyone else next week. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Yukon Cornelia is our special weather correspondent, once again telling us what it's like outside. And before the news break, when I was making Ted do my show for me, we were talking about the the strength of the wind. Well, just before the music came on to play me back in, a little bit of new order, I saw the snow had really started, and it's going sideways outside the window here at 87 George. The only time it goes down, if it hits the lamppost, it goes down a little bit and then keeps going sideways. Welcome to Ottawa in April. Lovely. Okay, I didn't do it in February. This might be when I call my mother and curse her for moving me to Canada. Well, I was born here, but had she immigrated elsewhere, like San Diego, the other place they could have gone, um, I, I would have been warm. I wouldn't have been Canadian. That's sad, but it would have been warm, which is nice. And I wouldn't be, I'd be dealing with other crazy lefty counselors and and not having to deal with Catherine McKenney. So I'm sure that either on the bus or while driving, you've been down Albert Street or Slater. The bus corridors of Ottawa, that when they go right through the middle, 
of the city, they're at least four lanes wide. They're going to reduce them to one lane each. Now, you've got huge buildings there. We're not going to be changing those buildings. Huge office towers like World Exchange Plaza. We used to call it the Met Life Building. I forget what it's called now. Where highs used to be. They moved out highs for the, the subway and a food court. Those giant office towers aren't going to move. They're not going to get bigger. But we're going to shrink the street down from four lanes to two. It'll be like Valley Squire, where four lanes turn to two, except you're not going to have a nice furniture store there selling you Canadian-made goods. No, you're just going to have really wide sidewalks and, I'm assuming, some ridiculous bike lanes going alongside it that will be plowed before the sidewalks or the roads. This is what Councillor McKenney wants. This is what she's getting. She is an anti-car counselor, and so is everyone else that's voting for this. You know, when it's done, you'll be able to um, come all the way from Churchill to into the market um, very safely uh, on your bike or anywhere in between uh, very safely. You can stop off at the new library. The new library that she hates because it's on the wrong side of Bronson. But don't worry, you'll be able to do it on your bike. Bike lanes and more spacious sidewalks to enhance the streetscape. There's only so much public space between each building. And uh, up until, you know, very recently, uh, it was, you know, provided for uh, movement by vehicles. And this is a reapportioning of that public space for people. People drive cars, counselor. People ride in cars. They ride in buses. How wide do we need the sidewalks to be? You know, I'm thinking outside of World Exchange now. They're already pretty darn wide. There's a few areas where it could be a bit wider. But there's going to be one, one lane in each direction. I'm assuming that they'll be doing away with parking. Maybe that's a bad assumption to make, but not when this is the counselor driving it. But you'll get your bike lanes. You'll get your bike lanes in your big, wide sidewalks. There's only so much public space between... Uh-huh. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. Would love to hear your thoughts on this very local item. Would also love to hear your thoughts on two of the items federally that are brought up today. Haven't touched on anything provincial yet. We talked about that with doctors yesterday. But would love to hear your thoughts on Justin Trudeau being so darn sure about himself when it comes to the the carbon tax issue. Even though only 13% say that's their first choice, he knows it's the right thing. around the world have recognized that putting a price on carbon pollution is the best way to move uh, forward uh, huh. to reduce well the cops say it's the best way so got to do it some provinces don't want it we'll force them 
Catherine McKenna says you don't agree with her. She doesn't have time for you. Now, I have no time for folks who are like, you know, we shouldn't take action. Um. Like, you know, 87 percent disagree with the prime minister's first choice on how to handle climate change. 87 percent. But if you disagree with him, you're a denier. You're someone that doesn't want to save the planet. You're someone that doesn't want action, even if what you do want is for the government to use rules and regulations. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility or 1-800-580-CFRA. And of course, the illegal border crossings, always a good topic. I don't often get many people calling up to say we should have more illegal border crossings. If we don't fix this issue, we will become like the United States where the immigration debate is all wrapped up between illegal and legal. And nobody makes a distinction between the two because they're just so fed up. They just want it dealt with. Maybe that's what Trudeau wants. He wants a polarizing debate on immigration because... The conservatives won on both the immigration file and the immigrant vote for several elections there. Maybe he doesn't want that. Maybe he wants to create division by trying to say conservatives hate immigration. No, conservatives don't want people breaking the law, walking through frozen farmers' fields, having their toes fall off, trying to get into this country because Prime Minister Trudeau sent out a tweet, hashtag Welcome Canada. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Dave, you're on Beyond the News. Yes, hello, Brian. Hello. Um, very, I wanted to get on a couple of things. But I'll start with Albert Street and, and so on downtown. Again, it's the stupid council. Uh, they're going to reduce, seriously reduce the amount of parking spaces that are available there, even though they're cutting two traffic lanes out. They can't leave one side of the street for traffic, I mean for parking. What's wrong with these people? They hate cars. They're going, they're going to kill downtown. Bank Street, where it's been rejigged, has, has, has uh, gone downhill as far as the, the vendors is concerned because people aren't as comfortable getting there and finding a place to park and to move around once they get there. They, they're doing the same thing. Well, there's no shopping district on, on um, O'Connor. Uh, the bar scene on Elgin is basically a nighttime thing, but they're going to kill everything else. To, you know, they're, they're going to kill it all. Well, look at what the so O'Connor may not have an active um, shopping district, but they've completely reduced that. Yes, and it's a main thoroughfare out of downtown. They are reducing Elgin from four lanes to two. Yeah. Right now, Elgin becomes four lanes in each, uh, two lanes in each direction, at the uh, rush hours. That well, they're going to bring it down to one lane in each direction. Yeah, no, they're, 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 they're going to make it one lane in each direction on Albert and Slater, which, believe me, it's not just buses on those roads. Now, two federal things, if I can. Okay. Uh, one is the uh, new regulations for oil drilling and possibly other things. To think that our government has to use criteria for, for development to implement its own social program is nothing short of a communist state. The social programs for the development of resources. Yeah, they, they want to, uh, you know, make sure women's issues and all these things are in there. You talked about the intersection of sex and gender. Yeah, in, into into the uh, whole thing about whether an, an oil pipeline is a good thing or not. 
What, what are your internal bathroom policies at your company? They're supposed to be environmental evaluations, not the, the number of bathrooms you've got in your office building and who can use them. I, I don't think that uh, those distinctions matter to Justin Trudeau anymore. He just wants to control all. It's, it's a communist state if we're going to go those as far. Now, the last one is Catherine McKenna, and uh, she doesn't care about me. Well, I don't care about her. You don't like her being called the environmental Barbie? I don't care because she doesn't care about me, so she doesn't care what I say about her. Not said. All right. Thanks a lot. Talk soon, Dave. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Quick break. Back with more of your calls, your questions, your emails. I'm Brian Lilly. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Okay, before I get back to the phones, and John, I know you're calling in about the illegal border crossings. You're going to want to hear this. I asked Michelle Rempel, I said, can you send me the some information I need to know about this, the page number in the budget or what have you? And she said, it's page 211. So here's the portion of the budget that deals with increased funding for illegal immigration. And I did not hear this in any of the budget reports at the time. Directly from the budget plan, it says, Irregular migration, managing the border. The government of Canada is committed to protecting the safety of Canadians and keeping our borders secure. At the same time, people seeking asylum must be treated with compassion and afforded due process under Canadian and international law and in keeping with their values as an open and welcoming country. All right, boilerplate stuff. Get to the meat. It goes on. To that end, the government proposes to provide an extra $173.2 million to support security operations at the Canada-U.S. border. And I'm thinking, okay, well, Michelle's got it all wrong. It's This is to support security operations. Okay, well, keep reading. And the processing of asylum claimants arriving in 2018-19. Funding would be used to manage the increased number of people seeking asylum in Canada this year, many of whom would arrive with their families seeking quick, safe, and compassionate processing. Funds would be used to provide short, safe, uh, short-term processing and securing screening supports at the border, as well as to support decision-making capacity for the Immigration and Refugee Board. When they say... $173.2 million to support security operations at the Canada-U.S. border. I'm thinking you might use some of that to stop people from coming in. No, they mean we'll help them come in, we'll fill out the paperwork, we'll do some security screening supports at the border, and uh, then have them on their way. Sound about right? An extra $173 million. I will look up what Veterans Affairs budget went up by. Uh, I'll tell you that much. Uh, John, you're on Beyond the News. And it's to help them on their way to where? Going to Quebec, maybe, on their way through? Well, going to Quebec, Ontario. Yeah. 
uh, Manitoba, mm-hmm. British Columbia. The, the, these are all the hot spots people have been going to. In brief, I'd like to get a message out to dear Donald. Uh, hey, buddy, you better look over here. Look north. you got a lot well, of people leaving. You better build another wall. It'd be to keep them in, though. Well, that's good. He's building a wall to keep them out on one side. Well, build another wall on this side to keep them in. And then he's still oh, going to have two more sides. Uh, with oceans. Build a big bowl and, and fill it up with water. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm joking. But seriously, like, you know, if he's going to do one, he's got to do both. He, he's proposed it, so, and, and then what? The we, National Guard's going to look after it? This is a an issue that the Americans bear some responsibility for, and so do the Canadians. Just the, the Americans have, have to be asked to mind their own border, mind their own people, but we have to mind our own border as well. And we have to ask for a change in the agreement so that this doesn't apply. Well, I wish every one of us could step away from dear earth far enough where we could look back at it and say, listen, as far as we know, we're the only ones that live right there on that little ball. What are we doing building walls and separating everybody from each other? What's the problem? Well, that's for another discussion. All right. Thanks for the call, Take John. Care. All right. Let's go to uh, George. George, you're on Beyond the News. Okay, i got two topics for you tonight. Okay, go quick. Well, the one from last night, where we get to grow our own four weed plants, right? Yep. Can I grow frankenweed using the Ebner effect to create a more powerful weed by radiating the seeds with static electricity? I, I don't know what they're going to allow, and I'm not sure they do. Because so, I, could, I could alter the plant, alter the DNA expression of the plant, and get, get, get some maybe more powerful weed. Am I going to allowed to do that? I don't know. And they don't even know if they're going to allow you to grow it outside or if it has to be grown indoors. Too, but that's another problem. Okay. okay go- now, now, the second topic is your oil fields in the Atlantic. Yeah. You better get the air photograph maps up because those icebergs are coming down this year and they're coming in herds. Well, so you're, they're used your oil, to dealing with this. That means that your oil, oil rigs may have to uh, get out of there. They're used to dealing with this, George. No, no, no. Uh, it happens this, every year. This, I'm not talking. I'm talking extremely more icebergs, not the happen every year type of iceberg thing. I'm talking extreme. All right. Well, we'll see. Thanks for the call. Hey, Mark. Let's go to Maddie. Maddie, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Long time no here. Yeah. You're calling. You're calling in about downtown. Yeah. Oh, oh, honey, that was just lovely. I would have loved to have been there at that meeting because I think I would have been going. All right, guys. You want to move the the bicycle stuff. I've got two issues. One is for, for the foliage they want to put up. I've seen down Bank Street, what was it last year or the year before, where they had holes dug which looked like they were for trees under power lines. Okay, that's smart. The other thing is, is these planters are going to be put in. Now, if you look at the planters that are in Rideau Center, around the Rideau Center, they're used as garbage cans. And all the new foliage will be pulled up because there's vandals that want to do something stupid. As for the bicycle lane... The only ones that are constantly pretty are the ones that are in, uh, in, uh, maintained by the feds and they change the flowers all the time in, in front of the prime minister's office and places like that. But those aren't really planters there for being planters. They're there to stop cars from ramming. <laughs> I mean the Langevin yeah, no, block. No, no, but I'm saying, though, that you get hordes of people oh, I, off. I know what happens to so many, yeah. Now, the other thing is is these bicycle lanes. I mean, we've got specialty rules for, for Laurier. Now they want to move them over. Like, excuse me, how much did you waste in, in our taxpayer dollars that are supposed to go towards roads, put in bilingual English and French bylaw rules, 
so that if a bylaw officer has to go down, he can read them that. How many signs did you put up? How many accidents were there in the first three weeks? Now, if you shut down these lanes, as you say, to one, uh, one way in either direction, what are trucks going to do when they're trying to offload food, like deliveries? Where somebody says, my kid's gotten sick, my wife's having a heart attack, I've got to pull over, an emergency. You block the lane. Now where are they going to go? But yeah, I guess too too bad, so sad. Yeah, I know. And I'm also thinking of the poor people that come into the city that are from out of town, that don't know everything's a one-way street, and don't look for a gas station because you ain't going to find it. Don't look for a place to pull over where you can get information. You can't do it. I, I don't know about you. Thought, I don't know if you get family coming in from out of town to visit. I do. And, and you try and advise them on what it's like to go downtown. But if you don't work downtown and you don't know, good luck when your family shows up, your friends show up. You know, like like stupidity. Like they say, well, we want a downtown market. Well, if I'm going to go to the downtown market and I see, wow, I can get 50 pounds of potatoes, 10 pounds of carrots. You think I'm taking that home on the bus, you retards? Or I'm going to call an Uber or I've got a taxi? There's nowhere for the Uber and taxi to pull over. Yeah, and and even if you want me to go down there for some festival, I've got four kids in the car. Yes, think I'm going to try taking them on the bus when they're cranky and tired. And I don't know what they're they're dreaming of and what now. Maybe they're they're partying early this year. You know what I mean? But I mean, I I just really wish they would think like we've got to get our roads in condition. Like we've got people that are their front ends are going out, their tires are blowing out. We've got as you say, sinkholes. And we're worried about putting, prettying it up and making it more people-friendly. Like, I feel that the bicyclists should be classified as a specialty group. You want that, you pay for it out of your own pocket. And the planters and trees and all this other stuff they're going to put in, what's going to happen when winter comes? And they got to try to move snow around it. That's what I'd like to know. Well, that, that'll take a backseat to making sure that the... Um uh, the bicycle lanes are plowed first. I got to run, Maddie. We're anyway, we're up against the news. Thank you very much. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. Thanks for ranting. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back with more of your rants when we come back. on your side. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just love that song, love that woman's voice. Couldn't stop listening. Just amazing. Can't say the same thing about listening to the Capital Ward Counselor, who is all excited about getting more bike lanes into downtown Ottawa, getting rid of vehicle lanes, and expanding the sidewalks along Albert and Slater when we move from buses to LRT. You know, when it's done, you'll be able to um, come all the way from Churchill to into the market um, very safely uh, on your bike or anywhere in between, uh, very safely. You can stop off at the new library. 
this is the entirety of her existence on council. Pushing for more bike lanes. Stopping cars. There's a proposal for a new development at what is now known as um, City Center. Looks like it used to be a distribution center. You know, the type of place that trucks could back up to and unload and load and a big 18-wheeler could pull in, drop off a lot of material and the small delivery trucks that would deliver all over town could pull up and get what they needed for their restaurant or their store or whatever. It's, it's long outlived its usefulness. And there's a proposal to tear it down, put up three towers adjacent to the new LRT at the junction of the O-Train and the incoming LRT station. And there would be shops and there would be mixed-use office and retail. And thousands of people would live there. This is the type of infill that the city always says they want. Councillor McKenney is fighting it because she doesn't like the number of parking spots in it. There is less than one per condo. There is less than... So if every person that bought a condo there had a car, they'd be out of luck. Never mind the fact that many of them would have to also park if they they worked at the, the offices there or they were visiting the stores. She wants everything to be on bikes and buses and trains. And I'm sorry, that is not reality. It's not reality here, and it's not reality in your beloved Socialist Europe, Counselor. It's not. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Uh, Dan, you're on Beyond the News. Hey, Brian. So let's pretend that you're a CEO of a hospital, okay? And I'm a licensed plumber, okay? Would you hire me as a heart surgeon? Depends on the intersection of gender and sex. Aside from that. Oh, no, that's the major portion of policy now. No, I would not. I I would not hire you to fix my heart if you were good at plumbing. My point is, why the hell is a lawyer in charge of uh, so-called climate change? Can somebody please answer that? I know it's a rhetorical question, but really... This is so ridiculous. It's nuts. Well, if we didn't give lawyers jobs on Parliament Hill, there'd be more of them crawling the streets, I guess. So, uh, Sir John A. Macdonald said this more than 125 years ago, I think it was. He said, if you want, if you want me to have a better cabinet, send me better wood. <laughs> uh, Ryan, 150 years. Well, that, that was 1867. He didn't say it then. He said it a few years later. Oh, okay. Sorry. He was PM over a long time. Yeah, no, that's true. Good enough. So, uh, it's uh, I'm not having a Justin moment where I forget how old the country is. I just don't oh, know. Just, I don't know what year he said that in. <laughs> well, I was trying to be funny there, but anyway. yeah. Anyway, thanks for the call, Dan. Okay. Uh, let's go to uh, Gloria. Um. Gloria, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Brian. Hi. Um, you know, I, like I like to talk about Trudeau and his, um, he's operating an open border policy. Oh, gosh, I got the radio on so loud. Yeah, you better turn that down back there. Thank you. Just a moment. 
Yeah, you, you, you can't call in and leave your radio on. You get a loop. You hear yourself a couple seconds sorry, later and sorry, it confuses sorry. you. <laughs> so they, they would argue that it's not an open border it's, policy. It's 100% is, I don't care. I don't care what they argue. Um, I, I've, I've heard of enough of their uh, verbal, I'm going to be strong, verbal diarrhea because that's all that comes out of their mouth. Are you saying you don't have time for them? No, not at all, because it's clear <laughs> there isn't one spot from from sea to shining sea that is covered by one border guard to watch for these illegal crossings. And he's in, the thing is, he's invited every uh, illegal immigrant around the world to uh, to come and enter Canada. And this it will it will include. There's no checks, so this could include terrorists, criminals, and drug yeah, well, dealers we, we into had... our country. We and had stories when this first became a big media issue in, yes, in the winter and spring of 2017. Mm-hmm. We had stories of people flying into JFK, <laughs> yeah, getting on buses into upstate New York, yeah. and then taking a cab from the Plattsburgh bus station. Which is a $90 ride. To the border, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they'd just get out and walk across, and the RCMP would be there to... Help them across. Yeah, help them. They're uh, subbing as uh, bellhops. You know, the thing is... I tell you, the Mounties aren't happy about that. I've spoken to them. I guess not. Not eh? not to all of them, but I've spoken to many, including some guys who have been sent down for those shifts. And they're they're not allowed to do anything to stop them from coming across the border because they haven't done anything illegal until they cross the border. And, and, And given that they are civilian police... That's all they're allowed to do is arrest you after you break the law. Mm-hmm. The thing is, Canada belongs to all Canadians, not just for arrogant Trudeau to do what he pleases with them. And who does the heck, I like the same words, who the heck does the, that SOB think he is? This High prince of all Canadas. Yeah. He must be voted out in the next election before he completely ruins our country. He is one of three, 30, uh, 37 million people. That's all he is, and he better remember that. And the, the thing is about these, these illegal immigrants, uh, irregularities, he's a regular, I tell you. Uh, they, are, they are putting a great strain on our already overburdened health care system, and they immediately go to the head of the line when, you, you know, for... for uh, um, anything to do with hospital or doctor while Canadians wait for beds in hospitals for surgery. Plus, these, they immediately get, these legal immigrants, they immediately get, of course, the health care that, that we are paying for, uh, free dentistry and free eyeglasses and free apartments. Um, we must start treating all Canadians as well as we treat illegal immigrants and get the same coverage because we don't. There, there are some medications that that, would, that are, are delisted. Oh, sure, there's all oh, wonderful coverage, and then you then you go like I was just thinking of, of the example of of one of your children. You you go and ha- to get it paid for. No, I'm sorry, it's not on the list. So it's it's actually it's it's uh, a hoax, is what that that this whole. Uh, uh, um, I was going to say dental. The OHIP plus, yeah. Just the OHIP plus. It's it's a hoax. So uh, you you know, but we but the thing is, it doesn't apply to any illegal immigrant. They get everything, and we get nothing, hardly. Right. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. Uh, their their health system that they have access to should be the same as what. Canadians have access to that. I'd have no problem with. But 
what the conservatives took away, the liberals gave back. Not all, but most of it. And what the conservatives tried to do was make it more like what you got at your provincial program. Believe it or not, because most reporters are too damn lazy to look at the actual documents, the conservatives just didn't take things away when they changed the program. They improved some things as well. Because I remember talking to immigration minister, then immigration minister, Jason Kenney. And he said, the prescription drug coverage under the what was then the current immigration health plan was just far too generous compared to what Canadians could get. But then when it came to medical care other than prescription drugs, he said, Brian, it's bizarre. It can, if you've got a medical emergency, yes, you can get looked after, but if you need an operation for something, it takes forever to get approval to fix a leg, let's say, but abortion is covered immediately. He said it made no sense. He wanted to make it a fairer system for those getting the care and those paying for it. And he was denounced, 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 denounced. And I'll tell you, the media coverage of that was deplorable because nobody read what the actual changes were. Michelin, you're on Beyond the News. I'm a deplorable. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, just, with, uh, just quickly, Brian, regarding the um, uh, McKenna, uh, not McKinney, uh, the counselor with regards to... Um, uh, shutting down uh, those streets. I just wanted to briefly tell you that I left a message, uh, my, my counselor, Mathieu Fleury, mm-hmm. I left a message on his uh, voice uh, and, and, and asked him if he took uh, his bike or car lately up and down Montreal Road because Montreal Road is a big potholes and it's very disastrous. It's a disaster from uh, the bridge, uh, Rideau Street, right up to Saint Laurent, and it's his. Uh, and and I didn't think he would call me back, but he did. And I told them that you know uh, roads have to be repaired. And now uh, they're they're saying that uh, maybe they'll consider uh, spending how many mil- how million dollars? How many dollars are uh, they- thir- thirty-two million for Albert to slay? Oh my God! There you go. And and the streets are 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 deplorable. <laughs> May I say, and I just quickly, Brian, a um, uh, police officer was uh, guiding traffic, and uh, I was just uh, sitting there uh, in traffic, and the police officer came over, and uh, and I I I told him you, you're doing a good job, and then I asked him, I said, do you miss him? And he looked at me and he chuckled <laughs> because do, I was do, referring do you miss to Vern White. Oh. <laughs> And he chuckled, and, and he said, you know, he just uh, nodded, saying, yes, I do. So anyway, good job, Brian, and uh, I apologize sometimes. I, 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 I get so um, wind up with regards to happening, and you're the only one that I can trust with regards to giving me the, the right to what's happening in uh, the media. So right. thanks, uh, Th- Brian. Thank you, Michelin. Thanks for the call. Uh, when we come back... Um trying to find i'm trying to find the the plan on the city's website it's not easy of what will actually happen on albert and slater and rob snow told me i should uh let you all hear dr barry dworkin all wound up over ohip plus on uh, the wednesday house call today Brian Lilly 
Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. All right, breaking news on a story that we have been following all evening, and that is the closure of the Chaudière Bridge. Ted Raymond in the CTV News Center. Well, this is actually a different uh, incident. Uh, this is uh, in Sandy Hill, actually. It's related to the windstorm, but we've got a roof that's been blown off a building in Sandy Hill. I, I was told roof blown off. I assumed it was the, the bridge. So a roof blown off a building in Sandy Hill? At the corner of uh, Osgood Street and Sweetland Avenue, Ottawa Fire saying the exact address, 168 Osgood. Uh, no reports of injuries at this time, but police and fire are on scene. Uh, just kind of investigating the firefighters saying they've checked uh, the top floors where the roof blew off and the area where it uh, landed on the road. Uh, so far, again, no reports of injuries, but it does look like we've got at least one roof blown off in the city in this windstorm so far. You're saying 168 Osgood. Osgood Street at the corner of Sweetland Avenue in Sandy Hill. That looks like a home. Not to be too creepy, but Google Maps shows us all this. So this is a... Looks like a multi-unit. A multi-unit, uh, one yeah. of the older 1920s maybe homes. Yeah, three floors. Doesn't look, uh, not too big, but... Uh, but we are going to have homeless people tonight as a result of this. That's well, very possible, yeah. They, they, people on the top floor are probably not going to want to stay inside. I, I, I don't think they'll be letting anyone in the building stay inside. That That's a guess, but I'm sure you'll be keeping us updated on that. Following Thanks for that, that, Ted. You're welcome. Ted Raymond joining us with breaking news from the CTV News Center. Wow. Wow. That tells you what the winds are like. I'm just checking the the flags behind me. The snow stopped. The flags are not fluttering. Uh, well, actually, they're closer to fluttering. They weren't fluttering before. The wind was so hard, it was pushing them almost off the poles. It looked at one point like the, well, not, not that the street lamps would fall over, but they were definitely teetering. So that is the strength of the winds tonight. I've got a, a bit of Dr. Barry Dworkin from the Wednesday house call that I want to play you on OHIP Plus. But just before that, we'll take one last call from Alan. Alan, you're on Beyond the News. Hi. Uh, I just came across from Kensington Bridge. That bridge is in a sad state of affairs. They fill up potholes. The next day, it's all out because of the bus traffic over. They're going to have to do is like shut it down for a day, direct the traffic down on the lower half, and then just Repave the whole bridge. Uh, it takes longer than that to uh, repave a whole bridge. Well, you know what I mean, though. But uh, it's got to be done soon because there's going to be an accident there. Some of those holes are pretty big. Yeah, well, it's uh, the beauty of winter in Ottawa, although as uh, the uh, auditor has detailed and Rob Snow's talked about extensively, we don't fill the potholes properly in this city, and that's part of the problem. Thanks, Alan. Uh Let's end up with Dr. Barry Dworkin on a bit of a rant here. You would think that Dr. Dworkin would be a big fan of OHIP Plus because, well, then his patients can get medicines, right? Medicines that they couldn't afford. Young people. Covers everyone under the age of 24. Well, Rob asked him what his latest uh, interaction with OHIP Plus was, and it's not pretty. I have a... 18-year-old woman uh, who came to see me for depression, and she had classic major depression. Started treating her with a medication called fluoxetine, very common medication. It's been around for 25, 30 years now. 
the, the, the brand name is called Prozac. The reason you use fluoxetine is that she was just 17, almost 18, and the, the recommendations are that that is the only one that the evidence shows that for under 18, it's effective. So you use the one that, that, that is recommended based on the evidence. And she's responding. She's doing much better. I saw her mom the other day. Mother is very happy uh, that uh, she's, you know, she's getting ready for the prom and, and, and school is going well. But when I followed her up, and this goes to what I was talking about before, you follow up. You don't just give a drug and say, see you later. Uh, she said she's feeling better. She's seen, going out with friends, but still not fully back to where you would consider to be normal. And, and it's been two and a half months, three months on the medication, right? Started in December. So that's enough time to know whether this dose is okay. So the next step, she's responding. It just means she needs a little bit more. And so it comes in 10 milligram and 20 milligram capsules, right? And then starting dose is usually 20 milligrams. So I want to increase her dose from 20 to 30. I don't want to go from 20 to 40. I want to go 20 to 30. There's no need to give more than what's necessary. You follow up anyway. So I get a message back from the pharmacy saying, OHIP Plus doesn't cover the 10 milligram capsule, only covers the 20. So we can't increase her dose. You have to fill out an EA. You would have to increase I, it to, to 40, 40, which is not appropriate, right? So I have to fill out an EAP form, the you know the exceptional application for pharmaceutical form, and and state my case to the government why I need 10 milligrams instead, instead of, 20. of 20. When it's a generic medication, it costs pennies to make, and now this is going to delay her treatment by three to six weeks, wow. right? Uh, with school coming to an end, right? Beautiful. Way to go, guys. That really, really helps people out. Why are you doing this kind of stuff? Why aren't you covering a generic pennies per capsule pill that I can then use now? And she, her mom has insurance coverage, right? But insurance won't cover it because it's because OHIP plus. The government is so now to I have it. That's right. So now I have to do this paperwork, which delays your treatment. It, it just... I know I'm coming off today as a ranter, but it just drives me crazy right. to see that because it's That's this is directly harming red tape. this directly harming a patient, yeah. right? Because of bureaucracy, and this is not an isolated incident, not at all. So, for everyone thinking that they want to expand this, that they want to get this onto the next phase with coverage for what did Win promise everyone over the age of sixty five. Think again. Think, do I like the medications that I'm on now? Do they work? Do I want a bureaucrat or my doctor deciding what I actually need? Because under this system, it will be the bureaucrat. And as we heard from Dr. Kovinder Gill last night, it's the bureaucrat that decides whether you get the test. We've had, we have more bureaucrats than family doctors now. I'm not talking nurses that work alongside the doctors. I'm not talking technicians that work alongside the doctors. No, people pushing paper or entering bits of information into a computer system. That's a broken system, if you ask me. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News for tonight. Do make sure you drop by brianlilly.com. Find all the stories that I'm talking about, writing about there. I'll have something up on Michelle Rempel and our interview tonight, plus that section of the budget that I read out to you uh, later on. You do want to check that out. And uh, also today, uh, what are the stories up there? Oh, Trudeau and uh, his officials not able to answer on pot. And 
the uh, 13% agree with them on a carbon tax. Back at it again tomorrow night. Thanks for listening. As always, remember, I'm on your side. <laughs>